She sure as hell has been standing there a long time. Maybe she's just waiting for a straight date. There she goes. Ah, it's the cops. Do you know why I uh, pulled you over? Uh, no, sir. Because it's time to host the Raincoat Report. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Yes, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Hello. <laughs> oh, wait. Our studio audience is back. And who are you? Uh, I'm Boss. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> We made it happen. I love uh, this thing. Uh, here with Jeremy, of course. Yeah, I've got a new job on the podcast, and it's just to tell boss what noises I want. <laughs> this week, we're going to discuss another porno film for you, right? Yes, we are. We're going to talk uh, about something that happened in 1974. Um, nothing good happened then. Uh, lots of good things happened then. Name three. Um... Pink Floyd's 1974 tour was great. Okay. Uh, it was the introduction of uh, the songs from Wish You Were Here with some early proto versions of songs that would later end up on Animals. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Also, if, I believe it's the year that uh, Dario Argento's Deep Red came out. All right. And in 1974, A Climax of Blue Power came out. Erupted, some would say. It, it erupted from the mind of Lee Frost. Yes. Uh, are you at all familiar with the work of Lee Frost? Um, I know we interviewed Richard Nixon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Lee Frost... Uh, Directed quite a few things in the exploitation space. He directed such films as uh, Mondo Freudo and Mondo Bizarro. Okay. As part of the, the Mondo movement of the late, or mid to late 60s. Did you call it a movement? Uh, it was a, no, I would say it's a subgenre that got milked for like two years. I want to call it a movement. I like that. I'm part of I'm part of the Mondo movement now. Oh yeah. He also directed Love Camp Seven. Okay. Uh, that sounds like that's probably got some Nazi stuff in it. Yep. Uh Witchcraft Seventy, he directed. Okay. I've heard of that one. Uh that's kind of a Mondo witchcraft film, right? Like the one of those like uh, yeah, witch exploitation yeah. things. I'm yeah. pretty sure that I've seen it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I've seen multiple yeah uh, witchcraft Mondo movies. No, so. Un- understandably so. Uh, he directed the Black Gestapo the next year. Oh, I love that. This. I've actually seen that. That's a fine film. I haven't actually seen that one yet. That uh, it's uh, it's got one of the all-time best posters if you've not seen it you should look it up it is a great poster i've definitely seen that um but yeah the black gestapo yes oh wait we're not talking about that this week oh no 
Uh, we're talking about a climax of blue power. It's insane that he did both of those films. It's really uh, that links my teenage years to now. Oh really, yeah, a, yeah. In a, in it's a basically way. like you're young again. Yeah. <laughs> Forever young. Oh yeah. Just like. Uh, just like being forever young. Yeah. Take your pick of which song you like that's called that. What was that <laughs> little noise? I didn't hear a noise. Oh, I heard a like a probably like an imp on the line. Oh, okay. Yeah, sometimes you get imps. Well in the meantime You know what you you know what you do when you got imps? What do you do? As you can tell now, Jeremy is fully armed in preparation for discussing this week's episode. Yes. Uh, A Climax of Blue Power is an interesting look at both uh, the role of the police in modern communities and also uh, how incompetent they are at stopping people from abusing fake power. Yes. And and, uh, uh, running roughshod on our communities. Yeah, and how uh, that uh, and how power corrupts people, even people who don't really have that power, right? Even people who just have a bunch of decals to stick on the side of their Chevelles, yeah, or just a really cool soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, podcast listener, I smell weed. You better fucking give me two hundred fifty dollars. Or at least $5 a month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or two bonus episodes of the Raincoat Report at patreon.com slash raincoatreport, where just last week we dropped an episode where we talked about uh, the Avian Award winner for Best uh, Picture in 96 or 7, depending on what you... I think it was presented in 97 for a film in 96 for Bobby Sox. Or else. Or else, yes. That was just one long sentence with a bunch of commas. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) But yeah. Uh, But beyond that, uh, A Climax of Blue Power is an interesting story about uh, the abuse of power from somebody who uh, doesn't actually have it, as you mentioned. Yeah. They have a minor amount of power in their uh, apparent role as a security guard, maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not the power they're going to be abusing, as we'll see. Uh, And that's all I have to say. There aren't, like, uh, a lot of name actors in here. Yeah, that's what I was trying to articulate, but forgot. (laughs) Um, It does. The one name that stood out to me is Ushi Dygard. Yeah, that's one I know. She was in a lot of Russ Meyer movies and a bunch of other exploitation stuff. She did a lot of, like, softcore erotic films. Um, And, I mean, basically nobody else here has a whole lot of... uh, A lot of name power. A lot of name power. No, we've been working the indies lately. We're in the, like, the minor leagues. Yeah, just... uh, just blue power, not name power. Blue power. <laughs> All right. Yeah, each of these people seem to have been in like four movies. All by Lee Frost. Yes. Uh, so yeah, a climax of blue power, a very strange psychological film that uh, will be a lot of fun to talk about. It sure will be. 
And, uh, you know what comes next? The break. Oh, yes. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we'll be back to talk a little bit more about a climax of blue power. When I uh, switch to the page that has the gun sound, there's a little like an and the um, the icon is a little animation that flashes across the metal, and it really makes me want to press it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That itchy trigger finger over here. We'll go for it. Okay, I'm gonna take one out. I'm gonna do one out to break. Okay. 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 Say your prayers, bitch. scanner that he would just listen to on like saturday nights oh yeah yeah so we would just hear about crimes around the city when we would stay over there and my parents were at uh like bowling league or hanging out with their friends so like was it something where like he had it on and he was like reading or doing something else or was he just intently focused on listening to the police scanner i think a lot of it was just smoking cigarettes and listening to the police scanner Okay, okay. Maybe reading the paper sometimes, but when he wasn't doing that, we would watch cops. Okay. <laughs> that all lines up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever hear anything on the police scanner going on, like what happened in a climax of Blue Power? No, I think usually it was probably just like stolen cars or like people beating their girlfriends or something. Not, nothing fun. Yeah. I think the most notable uh, police scan scanner usage in recent memory was when i listened in on one uh, on the night of the louisville purge that occurred in like uh what was that like 2014 or something oh my god yes yeah. you should you should explain this to our listeners yeah so it was like a it was like a viral social media thing that there was going to be a purge type event in louisville one night and i think i guess late august of uh 2014 Oh, it was during the state fair. Yeah, right? it was during yeah. the state fair. Yeah, um, <laughs> and so obviously nothing happened, but people were like all psyched up about it. So there were like a lot of like calls to police officers about stuff that didn't happen and yeah, <laughs> things like that. I remember there were some reports of like exotic animals being out of the zoo and just all <laughs> kinds of nonsense. I was. Uh, I'd had back surgery, so I was just laid up on pain pills at the time, just uh, <laughs> listening to it. And I was like, wow, I'm sure glad all my doors are locked. <laughs> uh, and your girlfriend borrowed my car, and she lost it at the fair. <laughs> and I was like, God, she's going to get purged, and I'm never getting my car back. <laughs> well, uh, thankfully, we made it through the purge. Yeah, we're all fine. It- <laughs> It was good. Only a couple of people, I think, got purged. Yeah. Uh, mostly, uh, what's his name and his family? Uh, Ethan Hawke. 
No. I think they were the. I think they were in the first one. I've only seen maybe one of those movies. I have not seen any of them. No. Uh, the one I saw was okay, but it was like the third or fourth one. I got gotcha. you. So I don't. And then one of them is called The First Purge, but it's not the first one. Well, yeah, you got to have your your prequel movie. Yeah, it's a prequel. Yeah, yeah, but it really confused people uh, at the psych hospital. <laughs> They were very concerned that they weren't going to understand it because it wasn't the first one. But the other people are like, no, it is the first one. Uh, uh, real, real, uh, you know, like a bunch of fucking Fred Nethels over there. <laughs> Abbott and Costellos. But uh, that's the, I guess that's the only time I pretended to be a cop, really. was when I had that job. So you weren't quite an Eddie. No, I wasn't quite an Eddie. That was my uncle's name, too. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. Well, we'll keep that in the back of our minds as we watch okay. this, or yeah, this uh, as we talk about what happens in this movie. This one's dedicated to Uncle Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> so, for a climax of blue power, we open on a man, Eddie, in a cop uniform, watching a woman on the street. He appears to suspect her of being a prostitute, and watches her disappear with a guy in his car, and soon after the car arrives back where it was, and she's dropped off. He notes in his inner monologue that we hear that if he sees her once more going uh, around the block and coming back, he's going to bust her. She indeed disappears with another guy and returns shortly after. As she gets out of the car, our cop here stops her. We then cut to them in the car, and he's giving her her Miranda rights. She says her name's Linda, and she hasn't been busted before. He notes something like this can be a dark path to go down, and she says she just needs the money. Eddie asks her if she's on drugs, and she says she's not, but apparently her boyfriend is. Okay. He asks her if she has a bail bondsman or some money, and of course she doesn't. He explains to her, well, time in jail is rough. He finally suggests, maybe if she gives him a blowjob, he can let her go. She's hesitant, but he notes 30 minutes could save her 30 days. Sounding a bit defeated, Linda finally agrees. I mean, that's decent math. We see the car pull into a wooded area, and he asks her to strip down. Linda undresses in the back seat, and we watch in a long, uncut shot as she's doing it. She finally sort of curls her body up when she's done undressing. Eddie then gets in the back seat with her. He then says, well, get busy. <laughs> Linda leans down and starts to suck Eddie's cock. After a bit, he tells her, enough of that, and then he gets behind her and has her start thrusting herself onto his cock. He then pulls her down onto the seat and starts to fuck her from behind as they lay sideways. We get some big close-ups of all of this going on. After a bit, he starts to push his cock into her ass as they are laying on the seat. He gets on top of her and fucks her vagina a bit more as she grunts. She tells him to stop and that he's hurting her, prompting him to slap her multiple times and then point his gun at her. Excellent. She cries and eventually agrees to do anything he wants, to which he threatens to put a bullet between her tits. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> she begs him not to kill her and he tells her to get out and makes her walk in front of the car. 
She stands there naked as Eddie gets into the driver's seat and points his gun at her, telling her to get on the ground. He then tells her to spread her legs and touch herself. We see the rain start to pour down as Linda is still sitting on the ground. Eddie tells her to roll around in the mud, and she lays down again and starts to roll. He tells her to crawl around like a dog, and then to lay down in the mud and jerk off. He keeps yelling at her, screaming jerk, screaming for her to jerk off repeatedly. Yes. So we get a close-up of her holding open her vagina and fingering her clit, then finger-fucking herself in the rain. Okay. Yeah, just packing it full of mud. Uh, we cut back to Eddie watching and rocking back and forth in his seat. Uh, he finally throws her clothes out the window and tells her she'll have to get back to town on her own because he doesn't want to get his car dirty. Eddie takes off and we see Linda stand up and walk off. Yes. We cut to Eddie pulling his police car into his garage. He pulls the police decals that he has for his car off the side of it, Mm -hmm. uh, along with the police lights that he has, storing them in the trunk. We then see Eddie in his house, dressing himself in a security officer uniform and leaving home. Mm -hmm. Now he's going to his job. Yes. Mm -hmm. We cut to Eddie showing up at work and getting yelled at by a guy for being late at what appears to be like a sound stage or something that he's guarding, I guess. Yeah, something something uh, indiscreet, uh, nondescript. After the guy yelling at him leaves, Eddie sits in a chair and tints his fingers together like Mr. Burns. <laughs> we cut to Eddie looking out over a beach. He watches people at the beach a bit and then lays down in the sand. So... Did he leave his job to go to the beach, or do you think this is later? I don't know. I don't take it that he really prioritizes his actual job very much. No, he likes to fuck off and do his own thing. Yes, commit his dirty deeds. Mm -hmm. As he's laying in the sand, Eddie hears a loud boom and some crashing and a woman yelling. So we see Eddie sneaking around outside a house as a man is screaming at a woman About what sounds like some dalliance with another guy or something. He's holding a gun and she tries to get away up the stairs and he runs after her, firing a shot or two. Then he goes upstairs and we hear a couple more shots before we watch the guy slump down and slide down the stairs. The woman with him comes down the stairs and listens to the guy's chest, determining, seemingly, that he's dead. Yeah, he ain't moving. He's dead on the floor. We then cut to the actual police, uh, at least somewhat trying to do their jobs. We get introduced to two officers, Bob and Lieutenant Cable. Okay. Uh, Bob gives Cable some papers, and Cable immediately takes a phone call, telling the other party to wait for him to get down there. Bob and Lieutenant Cable are trying to come up with a suspect for the person who's impersonating a cop that they've heard about. They don't have a good suspect, though, based on the description. We cut to Eddie smoking and sweating in his car, listening to the police radio. (laughs) His inner monologue indicates he's upset that he hasn't heard anything about the murder he just saw. He wants her to be captured and punished by the police. She's got to be punished, he yells. Meanwhile, he's scoping out a massage parlor that has a $5 off special between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m., though, based on the uh, light outside, it appears to be well outside that window. Maybe it's Full 11... price for Eddie. Maybe it's, 
He's 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Full price for Eddie. <laughs> we see Eddie inside the massage parlor next. He tells the guy running the show there that he hasn't been there before. Uh, so the guy who works there offers Eddie an introductory offer with one girl for 15 minutes for just 10 bucks. But he could also get two girls nude for $30, which Eddie takes him up on. In the massage room, one of the ladies first asks if he is now or has ever been a member of law enforcement. He says no. She asks if he would like anything extra. He asks how much, and he's told that he can get whatever he wants for $50 more. So he takes him up on the deal. All right. We see the ladies undress, and then Eddie is being blown by one while he's going down on and fingering the other one. They continue to touch and rub a bit, and finally one of the ladies starts to ride Eddie reverse cowgirl, while the other is rubbing his chest and making out with him. In one of these shots, it looks like he's already came. Like It looks like there's like stuff running down his leg mm. pretty early on. But that be- might be. But beyond that, they seem to be in just a black room. Yeah, yeah. With a few portraits of, I don't know, like Victorian ladies. Yeah. <laughs> just a very strange massage parlor. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting place. Uh, the lady who's making out with him straddles his face after a bit as the other rides his cock more uh, cowgirl. Then Eddie and one of the girls are 69ing. Uh, before Eddie goes down on one of the ladies and then fucks her as the other lady is licking and kissing his ass. The lady's 69 as Eddie fucks the one on top. Then they get into a weird configuration I can't even explain, with one in doggy position and the other under her, also in doggy position, but facing the other way, with the lady on top eating the other's vagina from behind. Sure. It's a weird contortioned thing. I think I can see it when I when I picture it in my head. We cut to Eddie relaxing on the massage table, apparently after all of this is finished. Good. But all he can see are flashes of what he saw of the murder. The flashback ends, however, with something he didn't actually see, which was a woman pointing a gun towards his point of view and firing repeatedly. Oh man, I don't know if Eddie's quite right in the head. Eddie sits up and gets dressed. The guy who runs the place comes in and asks for $80. Eddie instead produces a badge and says that he and the ladies are under arrest. The guy notes this is entrapment since the ladies asked if he was a cop, and Eddie says he doesn't care what he calls it. Eddie says it's running a whorehouse. He sells him to get the girls dressed and ready. He's calling a wagon, and then Eddie Perverted leaves. porno zones. We're going to bust them. gotta work on my timing in his car Eddie seems upset that the murderer still hasn't been caught he notes that if he was in charge he'd have gotten her already and that cunt as he said would be locked up for life you can't say it like that I can too Whoa. back at Eddie's place he's laying in bed listening to the police radio he seems to drift off and he's imagining the murderer shooting him again But then he imagines him capturing her and driving her away in his car, her in handcuffs. We then cut to Eddie at the beach at night. He approaches the house the murder happened at again and looks through the window. We see the top of the murderer's head as she's blowing a guy. 
He's upset that she's blowing a guy after murdering another guy. He suspects that maybe this guy helped her hide the body and she's repaying him. His inner monologue starts to spiral, suggesting that maybe the cops do know already, and they'll lie and say they made a bust all on their own, even though Eddie is going to be the one who figures this all out. They're going to try to say that Eddie interfered, even though he feels like he deserves credit for figuring this all out. He is right about the cops would do. If he did somehow figure it out, they would probably just lie and say he interfered. Yeah, that that is true. But he's also a criminal, a disreputable criminal, so... Yes. Uh, you can kind of see why the police would want to take credit from him. <laughs> <laughs> we see the guy on top of the murderer woman fucking her on the couch... Uh, the back of the couch is blocked, so we don't really actually see penetration here. We just see Eddie's POV. Eddie says that he has to do this himself, and it'll be in the paper that he made the arrest, and he found the body. And then they couldn't keep him off the force. Yeah. I think he maybe mentions at one point in his monologue that they told him he was too short to be a cop. That might be, yeah. <laughs> or maybe that was a conclusion I came to on my own. All the same, he's not allowed to be a cop. He probably should not be a cop. They they might hire him today. I mean, they might. They probably He still shouldn't be a cop. Yeah. There's probably lots of Eddies out there. We see Eddie walk off and then cut back to the car as Eddie's driving and listening to the police scanner. He hears something about a man's death being suicide, presumably the murder victim, and he gets more upset. As Eddie heads home, we hear more of his delusions of grandeur, how he's going to be a hero. He pours himself a drink when he gets home and lays in bed. He produces what appears to be like an 8mm projector and uh, watches some uh, audio-free smut that uh, projects on the wall, uh, guys going down on a girl. The lady gets on the ground and sucks the guy's cock. Eddie just lays back and sips from his mug as he watches. The lady mounts the guy reverse cowgirl while the subtitles are on the screen are telling her to wrap her cunt around it. Uh, she's actually riding his cock anally, though. She turns around and rides his cock more cowgirl, then lays on her side on the bed as the guy fucks her ass and vagina in turn. Excellent. Eddie, meanwhile, is sweating super hard as he watches. Eddie is always just soaked in sweat. Yes, he is. Which I think is perfect for his character. Yeah, he needs to be sweaty. As sweaty as possible. Uh, in his little film, the guy comes in the lady's mouth and she lets the cum ooze out from betwixt her lips. Beautiful. Eddie fades into fantasizing about handcuffing the murderess uh, to the lights on his car. Mm-hmm. She's naked, and he's behind her, still in uniform, but uh, we see that he's apparently fucking her from behind as she struggles. We don't see this hardcore, but he's, uh, you know, fucking her in his fantasy. Yeah. Meanwhile, Eddie's sweating and tossing and turning in the bed as he's imagining himself then start whipping her repeatedly with a belt or strap. Yeah, and these are some real, this is a real beating. Yes. For you enthusiasts of beatings out there. Beating enthusiasts. Yeah, come and get them. Come and get your whippings. <laughs> <laughs> he then starts to imagine himself being massaged by the woman. She climbs on the table with them, with him and they 69 a bit. 
The flashback at first was in a golden sepia tone, yeah. but shifts into a red tone as the music gets tense as he's munching on her box. Yeah. It's at this point that I became aware that this is definitely a different woman as we shift into the hardcore shots that are definitely inserts. Certainly. Uh, which is fine for the genital shots, but very weird in the BJ shots. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because we definitely see a different woman's head blowing in. I think the red tone. We can maybe we can just assume some different fantasy. Yeah, He's intermingling I guess maybe. his fantasies of blue power. Uh, I guess so. And they've become um, they've mixed with red. Now it's all violet. She continues to suck him for a bit, and we cut to him fucking her doggy style first in softcore and then hardcore shots. Eventually, he pulls out and comes in her ass crack, and then fucks her more. We then see him in the softcore shot, starting to fuck her as she stands and as he stands and she lays her back on the table. We also see the hardcore penetration in red with a couple of interesting shots from underneath. We then see Eddie gripping the woman's throat with his hands and strangling her, and then whipping her more with his belt. In the hardcore shots, he whips the woman's vagina for quite a bit. We cut to Eddie putting his police decals on the car and listening to the police scanner again. He climbs into his car and we see him pull up to the house where the murder occurred. He knocks on the door, introducing himself as Officer Anderson. Where do you think you get those kind of decals? Uh, I don't know. Probably take some work to get them. I feel like these days you could just buy a giant printer and like do yeah, it yourself. Yeah, you can make it but yourself. I in, feel this, like back- in 1974, I don't know. I don't know. He's running with some rough cats. Yeah. yeah. He probably knows some shady dude who like does it by hand. Yeah. Some, just hand paints it. That's what autistic people used to have to do in the 70s. <laughs> Paint police police decals. That's how they got like their weird like like uh, little like obsessions and stuff out. Oh, okay, yeah. Where they they would have to like really obsessively. Was, there was no name for it yet, so they were committing crimes because they didn't know how to treat them. <laughs> Fair enough, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. But some guy was just like he's he never would have thought to use those in a crime, but old Eddie. Old Eddie. Can't trust him. So after Eddie introduces himself, the woman in the house says she was about to walk to the beach, but Eddie tells her that it'll only take a moment. Once inside, Eddie, as Officer Anderson, tells her that he has suspicions that her husband's death wasn't a suicide. Oh. She says she has already talked to Lieutenant Cable about this, but... He then tells her that he's in charge of the case now, drawing his gun and telling her to sit down. He puts his gun away and starts asking her why she killed him. She it's says, really a power move. Yeah. She says he isn't a cop and asks who he is. Eddie then points out some blood on the floor and starts yelling at her about knowing who she is and that she won't get away with it. Eddie then asks her where her liquor is and she points him to the kitchen. Eddie goes to get it, and the murderer sprints out the door. Yeah, he's... This is why he couldn't be a cop. Right? He's not very good at it. No, yeah. She got away with little effort on her part, I feel. Uh, Eddie quickly chases her down and snatches her up and drags her back into the house. He yells at her that he's sure that she murdered her husband. 
and throws her to the ground and strikes her a few times, telling her to do what she's told. We then cut to later, where we see Eddie coming up the stairs in her house with a sandwich. He opens a door to reveal that the woman's handcuffed and sitting on the bed in there. She refuses to eat the sandwich he brought her after asking to have the handcuffs taken off, which Eddie is not uh, into. No, she already tried to run once. Eddie says if she won't eat, maybe it's time for her bath, and he wanders off. Once the woman's alone again, she starts to wiggle her wrists and try to get out of the cuffs. After sort of giving up on that, she notices the phone nearby. She knocks it onto the floor and uses her cuffed hands behind her to awkwardly pick up the phone receiver and dial, which must be particularly hard on these old rotary phones. Yeah, uh... I don't know if I could do it. Do you have one? A rotary phone? Yeah. No. Okay, so we can't test it. Nope. Okay. It's for uh, it's for raincoat busters. <laughs> it's our like Mythbusters-esque series that we do where we bust all the, the, the uh, old myths of pornography. <laughs> We're going to show you how they did it, right? Yes, it'll be perfect for the Raincoat Institute. Yeah. Academic little, research. Yeah, it's very academic. Can if you're handcuffed by a madman, can you dial a rotary phone? Let's find out. <laughs> we then see the door to this bedroom fly open, and Eddie walks in now in full drag. Yeah, when did this happen? Uh, just now, I guess. Has he always been a transvestite? Uh, that is not clear. You think he just he just found this stuff in her closet? I think, and is just trying it on. Maybe. He's just having fun. He tells her it's time for her bath, and he takes the phone away from her and uncuffs her hands. He takes her top off and caresses her breasts for a moment, then starts to kiss the side of her face and her chest as she recoils in disgust. Eddie then slides down the woman's bathing suit bottoms and drags her into the bathroom, sitting her in the bathtub. Eddie starts by washing the woman's legs in the bubble bath, then the rest of her body. He eventually starts to glare at her vagina and reaches down and starts to finger her. He then turns her over and starts to wash her ass and then finger her asshole. He then pulls her up a bit and washes her face. We then cut to Eddie throwing the woman in bed and then getting on top of her and kissing her. He works his way down her body and starts kissing her chest and stomach before going down on her. She struggles a bit, but relaxes again. After a bit, Eddie gets off, taking off his wig and dress, and undresses completely before forcing her into a doggy position and beginning to fuck her from behind. He then rolls her over and starts to fuck her missionary. This continues for a bit as eerie music plays and he really nails her. He then straddles her chest and forces her to suck his cock with more close-ups of someone else sucking his cock. He's not sweaty enough during this scene, <laughs> is my main note. Well, he does start yelling, come on, come on, and grunting a bunch. It's gonna pop. <laughs> he uh, mounts her missionary again, pinning her legs up. We get an odd angle penetration close-up, but indeed the fucking continues... He finally seemingly finishes and gets off of her. We cut to Eddie getting dressed in the lady's living room, back into his cop outfit. 
Eddie walks back into the room with the woman and tells her that she'll be going to trial for murder in the coming days. <laughs> she asks why he's still there and says her boyfriend will be home soon. He says he's ready to deal with them and then demands her written confession. He then starts to beat her all over her body with his uh, belt again, uh, including her pussy. Yeah. She finally screams out that she confesses. Eddie says he'll type up her confession and she can sign it. As he walks out of the room, the woman finds the gun that Eddie apparently left on the floor when he took off his belt to beat her with it. He's just not good at this. He shouldn't relinquish his piece for even a second. No, not at all. Now, Advantage, uh, what's her name? Uh, she doesn't have a name. Advantage Julia. <laughs> she quickly pulls out the gun and fires at Eddie. He seems to get hit by it, but runs off, and the woman jumps out of bed to chase after him. She makes it down the stairs just as Eddie is sprinting out the door. She immediately picks up the phone and calls a number, asking to speak to Lieutenant Cable. We see Eddie driving away in his car as he passes a real police car. Uh, they spot that he doesn't have police plates on his car that appears to be a police yeah, car. His, his false so, police car. So they uh, start to chase after him. We then cut to Lieutenant Cable showing up at the woman's home. She kisses him and tells him that the guy found out about her husband. Uh-oh. So indeed, Lieutenant Cable was in on it. Whoa. They enter her house together. Meanwhile, the other cops are chasing Eddie. They know he's swerving a little bit as they're chasing him. Eddie's gripping his chest where he was hit, and he continues to drive fast, but he starts to sink down in his seat. We see him wildly swerving back and forth now, and we eventually see him seem to go unconscious as he sinks into his seat. Though he somehow appears to be able to break the car before stopping. Yeah, he, he puts the car in park and dies. Yeah. <laughs> So we see the cops check on him, and they indeed note that he's dead. They say to call the wagon, and then we get a black screen that says the end. Yeah. That was the end of Eddie, and that was the end of a climax of blue power. That was it. That was the climax. Yes, because <laughs> his blue power was done for. Yeah, it was spent. Well, I'm about spent talking about this movie, so let's go ahead and we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk more about a climax of blue power. They're saying blue. <laughs> they love it. They're saying boo urns. back on the raincoat report and it's time for a climax of our raincoat power uh, but it's time for the raincoat review <laughs> we've got it on a button now yes it's uh 
This is a fine film. Okay. <laughs> it's definitely a rough film. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a fine film all the same. I like it. I think it's part of that uh, grand tradition of uh, character pictures about disturbed loners of the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, your taxi drivers, your Christmas evils, and so forth. Uh, yeah, this is this, the 70s was an era for the lonely outsider who's about to break. Yeah, <laughs> or in some cases already has. Yes, uh, uh, such as this film. Yeah. Now, I will say this film is certainly uh, less nuanced and uh, <laughs> careful than some of those other films. Sure. Uh, but what do you expect from the man who brought you Black Gestapo? <laughs> right. And... Uh, Slave Girls of Camp Love Camp Seven or whatever, just Love Camp Seven. Okay, well, I I'm it may have it. been released at one point as Slave Girls of Love Camp Seven. That sounds like something that would have happened. Yeah, but uh, it's overall a uh, it's a good sleazy time. I think if you enjoy that kind of uh, cinema, it's definitely a troubling film yeah. in uh, its sexuality. Certainly, yes. Uh, some scenes that could be almost erotic or become repellent just because of the character's motivations. Yes, for so sure. I have to say, uh, as far as contributing to the overall theme, they work better in that regard than considering them as like uh, as masturbatory material. Yeah, they're not necessarily erotic in tone. Right. Uh, but some of the composition of them is like yeah. uh, the bath scene and uh, some of the fantasy stuff looks nice, like when he pins her up against the car and yeah. things like that. But it's all very brutal and uh, in service of that uh, message. And I, I think this is a it's an interesting film that has a, a couple things to uh, say, I guess, about the abuse of power. Sure. Um, you see it here on the one level of uh, Eddie. And right. And you get a little taste of uh, a deeper abuse of power towards the end when you find out that Lieutenant Cable is apparently in on the whole thing, too. Right. So uh, it's definitely one of those morally gray and toned 70s films that we uh, know and love. Yeah, yeah. And uh, something you hit on last week about just a love of low-budget films, I feel like that comes through... Why you would love them comes through a lot more in a film like this than in something like Powder Burns. Sure. Uh, just a very... Because there's not, there's not much to it. Like, they use day-for-night shots. There's obviously just using, like, a lot of people's uh, homes and things for yeah. sets. Not a huge budget. No names or anything to it. But uh, I think it succeeds at uh, what it is, which is a... Uh, Sleazy portrait of a terrible man. Uh, if you'd like something like Water Power or uh, I'm trying to think of another one we've covered similar to that, but I'm blanking. Or uh, some of the other ones, the non-porn ones I mentioned. Let's go with those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you would like this. I certainly did. Uh, it's definitely a, a misogynistic film. For sure. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't maybe recommend it for those with uh sensitive stomachs yeah yeah uh, people who aren't into that kind of thing but if you don't mind that i think you get a pretty interesting character study yeah uh shot in a, a pretty interesting way for a budget 
uh, by one of uh, Exploitation Cinema's unsung heroes. Yeah, yeah. Old Lee Frost. Uh, I would give it a four. Okay. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. It's, it also has a pretty short run time. I think it's, what is it? It might be like 80 minutes. Yeah, it's not a... Uh... It's not powder burns short, but uh, it's not too long. But the pacing is definitely a lot better as well. Yeah, like 82 minutes. So. Yeah, so uh, check it out. You can't go wrong. Or maybe you can. Well, so a climax. If you're Eddie. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be like Eddie. Whatever you do. Uh, for me, a climax of Blue Power was definitely an interesting movie. Um, you know, in any classical sense, it's distasteful. Right. But uh, you know, if you look at it as a piece of the '70s uh, exploitation, uh, over. Yeah, yeah, and, um, it's, and it's general uh, like distrust of power that you'd see in a lot of like political or like cop thrillers of the er- decade too. Yeah, there's there's a lot that you could see that like this is drawing on as far as like ideas that are in the public mindset of the time frame. Yeah. I think that this works more as an exploitation film than it does as a pornographic film for the reasons that you kind of discussed when mm-hmm. we were talking about how it wasn't really erotic. No. Um, that being said, as a fan of low-budget exploitation of the 70s, I think that this is pretty successful about, at that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, again, it's pretty distasteful. Uh, so, you know, you want to know what you're getting into when you're going in, and it's definitely not for everybody. That being said, I uh, I thought it was very interesting. It does that thing where you're you're like trying to get it into the mindset of a criminal here, and what we get at the end of the day is the uh, almost like a pornographic distillation of the ideas we see in later films, such as Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, uh, obviously with a lot less uh, probably. With probably a lot less thought put into it. Yeah, I would um, imagine. <laughs> but it's it's still interesting. It's competent enough that I'm legitimately into the story as it's unfolding and seeing mm-hmm. what's happening. Uh, but also still low budget enough to have, you know, as you brought up, kind of that low budget charm to it. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I'd give it three and a half stars. Uh, it was something that, like... I bought a long time ago because Vinegar Syndrome put it out, but right. I was looking at it a lot and I was like, mm, I mean, this is definitely a weird rapey movie. I don't necessarily want to put this on, uh, but you brought it up that we should cover it. And I was like, yeah, I haven't watched that yet. And we watched it and it uh, exceeded my expectations greatly. So excellent. Uh, it's not necessarily totally the type of movie that I'm into the most, but it is definitely interesting, and I was entertained watching it. And that's what's most important. So yeah, three and a half stars, a climax of blue power. Uh, I think it's time for us to... Oh, here they come. We need to swallow our drinks, and then we'll run off as our climax of yeah. brown power. You're getting, uh, you're getting arrested for your review. Oh no. <laughs> 
Well, quickly, uh, as we're sprinting off, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Uh, and if you're going to go around town and uh, snatch up women pretending to be a cop, uh, I guess forget your raincoat because you're probably wearing a cop outfit. Unless you're pretending to be a detective who wears a raincoat. Yes. I think that's probably, I think you're onto something there. I think they'll already have a detective's coat. Don't forget your detective's coat. <laughs> your your London Fog. That's a brand of trench coat. Oh, yeah. I think raincoats as well. Long coats for men. London Fog. Rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> He's dead. Son of a bitch is dead. Call for the wagon. <laughs>